right, Dan? How's it going? Yeah, it's going, apparently. It's going. Oh, man. It was a pretty miserable pod last week when we spent a lot of time talking about war and the geopolitics of sport. So I suppose we can get back to the more traditional discussion of just how crap Manchester United are. Oh, my gosh. That was an unbearable, intolerable performance of dripping wet incompetence and cowardice, the like of which yep. I have rarely seen in the rough. Really? Really? 30... I think we've seen it quite a bit, haven't we? <laughs> we've seen versions of it, but I think that in the time... In the time under Rangnick, I would say lack of quality has been much more prevalent than lack yeah, of effort. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. today we were treated to a speedball with that heady mix. I mean, speedball is probably not right, is it? But you know what I mean? I, I don't know whether a speedball really adds the extra competence in life generally. Yeah. <laughs> Another pod, that one. <laughs> probably involving Marky e. Smith and some uh, people a lot cooler than I am. Uh, it, look, it. Every single goal you can break down as, as just ranking competence. It's not even about so. the goals. It's about the, I don't know, it's about the invertebrate thickness <laughs> and lack of application. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That I fully agree. is impossible to part with. And it's weird because a year ago, these were likable. Yeah. There were obviously questions. But broadly speaking, aside from anything else, they were quite likable. And now you look at them, I mean, you try not to look at them. <laughs> Literally, like I don't want to look at them. They make, my, they make my eyes sick. True. I was watching this game with a friend of mine four minutes in, and we were both like, why are we watching this? Why? Why are we doing this to ourselves? <laughs> because uh, at that point, it was just so inevitable. I, I tell your point about you know, it's like the general incompetence, lack of will, uh, and especially in that second half, notable lack of any kind of effort, not to channel my inner Gary Neville here, but it felt like a lack of effort. But the, just the, on each individual goal, I, you're looking at that and going, if there's just basic competence here, all of them, basic competence, all of them could be cut out. I mean, the first one, Tellez, Maguire just stands still because he always stands still. I, I don't even know how to criticize him anymore because it's just him. Uh, Tellers picks the back post, not the near post. I remember this from primary school football coaching. Like, where you, the most dangerous man. You had coaching at primary school. Yeah. You're posh. <laughs> coaching at primary not school. Not good coaching. <laughs> primary school mm. PE. It's, where's the nearest danger? Do that. So they missed that one. Harry Maguire, uh, who was it? Someone on uh, Twitter, which was very funny, I think it's Fish from um, the Football Ramble and The Guardian, said Harry Maguire's defending for the second City goal was like when you press the wrong button on FIFA. And it was. I mean, he nutmegged himself. But I think he was actually like having a nice use of term advisory, trying to be clever. That the ball was coming in and he thought, oh, I'll let it through my ample legs and then he'll be able to bring it away like Beckenbauer. Probably being... <laughs> There's someone behind him. You're in a penalty area. What? How often are you able to do that or do it blind? You're not. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah and Harry Maguire is a, a million miles away from Beckenbauer. I, I just, it's the thousand yard stare afterwards that gets me. The just the it, you can see it slowly ticking around in his brain that he's absolutely had one there. And and David de Gea was going mental at the time. But he suddenly clocked, oh no. Yeah. This ain't going to look good for my, on my social media feed. It's not really about individuals. I feel that they've got to look at it as a team. They win as a team, they lose as a team. And they're going to be working really hard on the training ground to put it right next week because they know it's not acceptable and they really apologise to all the supporters. It, it's your new job, isn't it? Social media writing for the players. You can just <laughs> count the responses beforehand. <laughs> Well, we're actually recording this when Harrence Maguire would be giving this interview <laughs> yep. with his hangdog face, with his lips all turned down and his hair, his hair swept forward. But it is, it's the total, it's the total lack of any oomph yeah. when yeah, yeah. things went against them. And again, like we can talk about the lack of quality and it is significant as is the lack of intellect, footballing intellect, but just the way that they folded at 3-1 yeah. Is, yeah, yeah it is a lack of quality and city are better but it's also the fact that mentally they 
they didn't, they couldn't go to the well because they were shot, being so shot technically was too much for them to handle mentally. And it's funny because before the game, I thought, well, if they can avoid doing what they did at the beginning against Atletico, then who knows? Because they do have good attackers and we saw that today, but I felt like if they did what they did against Atletico, they'd be out of the game before they got started, before they started to play and they didn't do it. They actually played all right. They played the all right in the first half, yeah. And they subsided subsequently, which at least like, they keep it, they keep it boring. They keep amazing us with the new ways that they choose. And I'm not sure we've seen this one quite like that before, where they start a big game well, and then they just absolutely subside. I don't think that the setup or the, the plan by Ralph Ragnick was wrong, really. They didn't try to counterpress too high because that leaves loads of space. They defended fairly compact and they tried balls over the top and that, that actually caused some problems, didn't it? They had this setup where they got Pogba really close to Bruno and Bruno is basically this false nine with Ronaldo out. And I, yeah, there were rumours of the injury a few days ago. So maybe he's injured, maybe he was just dropped and he's had a huff. Who knows? We'll find out. And, and like the setup didn't feel wrong and that first 45 kind of bore that out. United were never going to have much of the ball in this game and were at least causing some problems. Got a, you know, great goal. Jaden Sancho it almost looked like he'd, he'd lost it. Uh, and then it's a, a beautiful piece of quality. It was just, you're, you're right, at 3-1, where City had a second bite at trying that exact same corner. The first one, Morris blasted, <laughs> blasted over. Like three minutes later, they did the exact same thing. And it's a brilliant goal. But after that, yeah, they just mentally completely collapsed. And it's not like it's the first time. So it's obviously a thing. They cannot cope with adversity. And nothing Ralph has done or tried has been able to fix that. Yeah, get, you need to get Ole back for the away derbies. He needs to be yeah, kept. Just, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. He needs to be kept. New concept of a special teams coach. I, I see this thing about playing Bruno sort of as a false nine or whatever. But I don't exactly want him that far forward because he's got that range of passing in order to bring other people into the game from everywhere on the pitch. Sure. I guess I would have played, I would have played Rashford in the middle and hoped that the change of scene somehow elicited a change of, I don't know what, just something, it looks like something's eating him. I don't, I'm not going to suppose to have a clue what it is. I hope it stops doing that to him soon because he just doesn't look happy. Yep. And, but again, we thought, I'm sorry, yeah, I would have played him, but I didn't get to well it wasn't something that I was I, I didn't think that would happen and I wasn't surprised by what I saw and they did play well because the thing with City is what they do so well is they able they somehow outnumber you in the middle of the pitch and out wide yep so what they tried they tried to do was try and try with those men in the middle of the pitch and the wide players quite na quite narrow you're then starting to try you're in a position where you can take up some space in the middle of the pitch but also get wide quite quickly and as you said it worked for a little bit and the problem, obviously, like, was conceding that second goal was a killer because it meant that City could then just keep the ball until they were ready to do something in, in, the, in the second half. And um, United had no answers at all. I, I think that nothing. City playing like that will beat most teams quite comfortably, but most teams won't set about it like United do. And the more, you're kind of sitting there then thinking, well, what do you do? Where do you go from here? I don't know. Yeah, the long-term picture is not pretty, basically, um, because of the financials that came out this week, last week, I think. Look, Rangnick's done the old Johan Cruyff thing of trying to make the pitch small when you're defending, like really compact. And so while City had that space wide and they're going to try and walk it into the box, they had something like 18 shots inside the penalty area. At least you've got a lot of men in there, this, right? So in I theory, you defend that competently. I don't and understand then try this, how this is possible, because when you defend the box, you will see much worse defences in theory than this one limit the amount of shots that a team are able to have. And yep. we know that they will be drilling this. And even if they're drilling it badly, they will be drilling something. So to them, for them to go out on the pitch and again, to look like nothing like it did under Ole makes you again, think that it's the players much more than it's the manager. Just as I understand, totally understand why people think Ole was limited, what his limitations were, but what got him fired was the dreadful defending. The setup today was 
straight out of the Ollie playbook, apart from the, the Bruno false nine attacking thing. And they're still trying to defend deep, defend compact, and then get the ball forward really quickly. That was the playbook. It's the playbook that won United, what, three out of the last four at the Etihad, something like that, I think. So it's, it's not, it wasn't wrong. It's just ranking competence, defending, and then like just desperate mental weakness as soon as they felt <laughs> they were out of it. Just this, and look, there were plenty of times under Oli where United had all those comebacks, and you're like, okay, this is a group that really wants it. They care. They might not be very good, but there's there's something they're desperately fighting for. You could see that they were getting good, and. They responded to adversity and it was a kind of mental weakness that they had to respond <laughs> yep. in the first place, but they, they were able to do that. And now it's just, you're kind of looking at them and you knew that that was a possibility that they were just absolutely no show in this game because we've seen it before that we saw it even against Liverpool, the way when Ole was still manager against Watford, obviously their issues are quality. So you look at United's back four today and you look at the two players in front of them. And probably none of them are good enough. None of them. Yeah. But they are good enough to do better than that. Much better than that. And their inability to do it. I mean, you could definitely say that maybe Rangnick isn't able to inspire them. And on the other hand, though, that sort of gravy, that little bit of inspiration. If you're playing for Man, for Man United or playing foot, professional football, there should be a basic level that you are able to hit every time. And what we're complaining about here is so we're not, it's not Maguire and Wan-Bissaka, those defend, um, Lindelof, um, Lindelof and Tellers, right? Their best level performance, they could put in an eight out of 10 performance, all of them. What wins, but, but they're really like six out of 10 players. But what we're yeah. complaining here is not that they're six out of 10 players. What we, if they're delivering six out of 10, we wouldn't have just watched that. If they'd have yep. played six out of 10 in that game, what we're watching is we're watching one out of 10 performances from some of these players and as a collective, and we've done it a lot this season. So the, the bitching is, is that they're not good enough, but it's not that they're not good enough to be as good as Franco Brazy. It's that they're not, they're playing so far below what their capacity is and what we've seen them do. And they've been doing yeah. it for a long time and responsibility for that is, is theirs. Yes. And look, I, and I agree with that. And I'm always reluctant to get into a position where I'm saying, oh, it's the lack of passion or it's the lack of commitment or they're not trying hard enough because it feels really trite, doesn't it? It's a piece of analysis, but it's hard not yeah. to go there after something, after, especially that second half after witnessing that. Yeah. It's Stuart Pearce. You feel like, you feel like Stuart Pearce. Yeah. In the back of my mind is also whenever I watch athletes and I think you're not competing here, you're not pulling it in. I think. All of the stuff that you'll have done to get to this point makes me feel uncomfortable calling you mentally weak or saying that you don't want it enough because you've like sacrificed, you've sacrificed your teenage years and your childhood, your youth, basically, sure. all the stuff that your mates were doing in order to get to here. And that just in itself requires mental strength and dedication and commitment. So, but then it gets to a point where I guess to do it at the elite level over and over and over again under the pressure of playing for Man United, under the pressure of playing for Man United when it's going badly, is is too much for some of these players. Yeah, they all turn into Rory Burns facing Pat Cummins, don't they? I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, and you can pal... I mean, they've made Rory Burns get a ball around his legs and look dignified. Yep. <laughs> well, Harry, Harry Maguire's legs were all in the wrong place. That was a cover drive for four relative to this. That is... He's still yep. bang now in the first test. It's 3,000 out compared <laughs> to that. But the, it's that as a group, I don't think I've ever seen as pitiful invertebrate a team in the time that I've been watching yeah. United. I've seen some rubbish teams. I've seen some amazing teams, seen some teams that could explode <laughs> and, and harm themselves, but I've never seen anything just as wet as that yeah pathetic yeah i i know look i don't know how that's fixed because it's it's not the first time right right this uh record's not so bad it's two defeats in 14 i think in the premier league at least but they haven't played anyone and when it comes when it comes to the end of the season and we haven't got fourth and that looks unlikely now 
it won't be that game. It'll be the run of games from when Rangnick took over to now to not be yep. absolutely miles ahead of everyone, of everyone else is inexcusable. And it's the finishing particularly over the last few weeks, but the amount of time it took them to get better also, which is partly the manager's fault, but again, you would, the fact that there was basically no bounce when Ole went suggests that that was the players yes. as much, much more so than the manager, because if it's the manager, when he's gone now, just listen, put effort in, try hard and concentrate. Not again, a question of ability at that point. Yeah. And they weren't really able to do it. For sure. I mean, look, Ragnick tinkered when he came in and they are just leaking like a sieve out of the dressing room with complaints, weren't they? Because he'd changed things. <laughs> but, but now, honestly, he's not. This is not some kind of fancy 4-2-2-2 counter-pressing where he's trying to get, he's just trying to get them to play a pretty oh. big, it's, it's, he's trying to get them to play pretty basically. He's not taken the fucking meat jock straps away, has he? He's just, <laughs> he's just <laughs> asking them to work hard and listen. Hey, maybe there's an actual mink in Harry's jock strap, and that's explaining his performances <laughs> at the moment. I, I, I think Rangnick probably clocked this lot fairly early. Oh, he must hate them. Imagine how much he hates them. I'm sure it's loads. And his tone has changed as well in, in his interviews pre and post match, in which he's now talking like a man who's not going to be coached next season. And talking in the long term, he joked with some fans this week when one of them listed a bunch of kind of fantasy football players, footballers that United might sign. And then he said, before the game, United have to be much smarter in the transfer market. <laughs> Lols, it's never happened. Um, I, 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 he's not wrong. Players that, the, the players that have options won't go to United because they won't be in the Champions League. You might yep. get the pull of a particular manager. So if it's Pochettino, he's probably got quite a good reputation amongst players who've played in England. So that might get you something. And the United will always have some pull, but players, serious players with proper options. You might get, if you get Tenag, you might get, you might be able to pick a couple of Ajax players because they will, they'll want to play for him. But there may be like, it, it is enough just to, for it to be United with a new manager and people think, well, it's United, they're offering me this amount of money, but it's, it gets to a point, doesn't it? Where people know, they won't know the ins and outs of the debt and the glazers and all the rest of it, but they'll know that this is not a healthy football club. If they've got smart advisors around them. I, mean, I just don't know what, what, in what world does a really top player want to come to United anymore? The, the pull is fading because there's just been zero success over the last nine years. I mean, there was always a pull, even in the, in the 80s when good players were more spread around. So it wasn't like it is now. United still had, United still had brilliant players. So I don't, Manchester United would always mean something to people. I think there's a Martin Buchan quote along those lines. Of course, United will always mean it's just it's just when you with the concentration of wealth and and power in football that 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 means something for United's relative position. And I, and I think they're already sort of floating numbers out there for the summer transfer market, uh, um, which in previous iterations they've released a lot of money when United have missed out in the Champions League. Looking at the the two seasons in a row now of like close to well, it's a hundred million loss, then then fifty million loss. The the cash at hand is depleted. The debt is as high as it's ever been. Uh, there, it doesn't seem like a scenario in which the Glazers suddenly release loads of cash. There's five players leaving from the squad on free transfers. A lot, a lot of wage, a lot of wages back from that. Low wage budget. If if United were canny and were in a position to get some interesting free transfers, that that United would be in a good position then. But I don't know whether that's the case or not. And obviously, the big name free transfers are not heading to United this summer. No, I don't think it's necessarily even that they need free transfers. If there's a sense, not a re, some sort of money for like a brilliant player or two good players, then with with sales and wages, you should be able to get in at least one more. And then you've got, you're going to need to be sensible with what you do with the young players at the club as well. Like you might need to start relying on some earlier than you would, than you would otherwise. But yep. the thing with all this time, United have obviously spent this obscene amount of money since Fergie, but they haven't done what City did and what Chelsea did, 
where they basically went and bought a team very quickly. What they've done is sure. they always leave themselves a player or two short, which also then subsequently means that you pretty much have to hit them, hit the, hit the mark every time. I remember saying, yes. I raised it when Ole got the job, the one the thing that he couldn't afford to make mistakes in the market because he doesn't get the sort of money that Guardiola gets where if you buy a crap keeper, you get another one. And then if you don't like him, you buy another one. And I mean, yeah. so he's, he's, he's been doing well on transfers more so recently, but in the first few years, a couple of years of Guardiola, he had some, he had some misses and Ole didn't have really the, the opportunity to miss, not the opportunity. It just wasn't, it, if he, if he did miss, it was going to screw him. And you look now at Ole's transfers and how, how many of them were any good. And it's only really Bruno. Now, I mean, the, the yeah. uh, Maguire that you could say, Maguire, you're on the fence at the end of last season. I mean, I, I was anyway, I thought he's not good enough, but if he could be consistent and solid, then that might be enough alongside Varane. But you look at Maguire, I yep. mean, you can't say that about Maguire now, same with Wan-Bissaka, but he's still got a little bit more time than I would say Maguire, as I can't see that Maguire can come back from the season and be captain of Man United next season. It's just ridiculous. No, no. I mean, the reason why I'll be at United next season is is no one would take him on the for the investment United made and and the uh, wages he's on. There's no route out. So, look, if you take the sixty transfers or so that were made under the Woodward <laughs> Let's regime, do that. that sounds bunk. How many are un unequivocal? It's one. It's one, right? <laughs> Bruno, it's Bruno. Yeah. That's the only unequivocal success. And we're in the process of ruining him. I mean, look, it, honestly, not to be too downbeat, but it's hard not to be after getting spanked 4-1 by City. But if I was Bruno looking at a potential new contract, I'd, I'd be stalling on that too. Unless, um, unless, so, he, why would he, unless sign he loves it? being at United. I mean, it's that. But it feels like they could appoint a manager who will make sure that Bruno wants to stay and maybe some of the others. If they appoint Pochettino or Ten Hag, those, those players are going to stay. The question is, what you, what, you, what you do after that? Because you look at, say, Marcus Rashford, is he someone who, with a good coach and a settled coach and trying to get the best out of him playing all the time, he'll get better again. But it's been a while since he was, it's been a full year since he was good now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's two full seasons of, because he wasn't good much last season, was he? The way that he's playing at the moment is just, he's just so listless. Yeah. That makes you, sometimes you watch sportsmen competing and you actually feel bad for them as a, as a bloke because they seem to be suffering. Yes. And yeah, I don't yeah. want to like impute things that aren't true, but just, he just played with so much joy when he started and so much vigor. And his, that is not just a matter of him getting old because you felt like that spark was something he'd always have. And it's just completely absent now. And he was at the point I, almost like a couple of seasons ago where it felt like you're going to have to get really good now. You're going to have to go from being good to, to being really good or else he wouldn't be good enough for what United want. And it felt like sure. he sort of start, he, he almost got there. And now, now we're miles over the other side. And then the worrying thing is how many examples are there of sports people who've gone into the death spiral of poor form and decline and then climb out of it across any sport? Uh, I mean, it depends, I guess it depends. And it probably happens quite a lot in the individual sports where people just come out of nowhere and win tennis. I mean, particularly women's tennis, which is the most unpredictable sport in the world. But I know what you mean. And I think that, however, if he suddenly went to play for Klopp or Guardiola, do you think he'd be good? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, funnily enough. Yeah. Same. Um, I, because I think the tools and the, the ceiling are pretty high. He might not be good enough to be the best player in a team that wins the league in the Champions League. He might not. That, sure. mu that he doesn't might not have be to be. But yeah. yeah, exactly that. He doesn't. He doesn't have to be, provided you're in a good team with other people with other people that, that are doing that. Right. But again, right. the problem with United at the end is that up front they've got the problems to cause any team's problems. We saw it today, even. Sure. But the, the defense is just it's not serviceable against good attackers, and that doesn't feel like that's going to change. Whereas Rashford could yeah. get better. That kind of thing you feel like might change. There's a lot of binary sort of analysis, isn't there? If you're not comparable to the best player on the planet in your position at any one time, then you're trash. Rashford isn't Mbappe, therefore he's rubbish. No, he's, he's rubbish at the moment because his confidence is shot and 
it seems like Ragnik is not able to solve that. But there's something of a player there. I think my point earlier was that it's just been so long since we've had we've had something out of him that isn't desperate. And like compounding all of that is all the injury problems. And he's fit now and doesn't seem to be able to find any form. And with Ronaldo injured, Cavani never fit. Do we think Cavani got a calling out by Uncle Ralph today? I, I, I mean, I just wonder. I mean, he wasn't on the bench today. Well, he said now. he trained well. He trained really well. And he decided, yeah. in fact, that he wasn't ready. Like, he basically didn't say he was injured. He said that Claire had made the decision not to play. And, and Cavani does that a lot, as does Anthony Martial. I find it's... You could get very Stuart Pearce about it immediately and just say, well disgusting should be playing should be playing with like a broke broken sphincter whatever and i would be that kind of thing and he just, should just be playing all the time and then i remember reading imory Keane's second book i think it was he said that ruvan Nistelrooy wouldn't play if he wasn't fit and Keane said he would like be putting himself through whatever to get on the pitch and he said to rude why don't you play and rude said something like i've only got one body i've got to look after it Keane at the time it said it made him think, and he now realizes that Rude was right and he was wrong. And that's Roy Keane. But with Cavani, it's just the quantity of games that he misses. And I mean, we knew that this was the case. And the problem is ultimately, sure. it's not just Cavani's fault. It's the fact that we've signed Ronaldo and he's been crap most of the time. And yep. we don't have Greenwood anymore. Yeah. There's about a million pounds a week of uh, talent there that you've just mentioned in that one sentence of wages. That is... Uh, not on the pitch today. So I guess that doesn't help, although given the performances of Ronaldo in the last three months, then he hardly justified a place in the team anyway. But he's having to play every game. He's having to play every game because there's no Greenwood yeah. and no Cavani. And I'm not saying that, I, I, I don't know if that's the reason, but it, it, because of what's happened, like being without those three players has made a massive difference because it's meant that you're totally, no Greenwood means you're totally relying on Cavani and Ronaldo. Cavani's never available, Ronaldo's out of form, and then it's a total mess. But again, the problem isn't even that. The problem over the last few weeks has been they can't score goals, that they should just be, chances they should just be scoring. And today, we've just, they've just been taken apart because they couldn't, they didn't have the moxie to put effort in. Yeah, for sure. Two passages that I found extremely funny. Uh, I've got annoying. one as well, actually. It yeah. might be the same. Go on. It, it might be the same <laughs> one. But first one was Bruno and De Bruyne having a joke and a laugh just before the kickoff at halftime. I was like, okay, I, I don't really care about this as long as you plant one on him later. Don't be all jokey-jokey. And then the better one, the even funnier one, was Fergie. He was sitting with uh, David Gill, as he often does, and John Murta just behind him. And they looked at the replay of the second goal, and he just turns away in absolute disgust. Having looked at a replay of that goal. What's going on with Fergie's barnet these days? With his hair. Yeah, it's sort of that sweet forward. It's almost like Gabrielle. Like, I feel it's a... Comb over. Yeah, it, no, but it's not exactly a comb over. It's like, he, it seems like he's actually got more hair than he had 10 years ago. I'm not sure. But no, the bit of the passage of play that made me laugh was just after City scored the third goal, United come forward and Wan-Bissaka brings it away like Cafu. And then he tries to play a through ball. And it just, I can't, I can't remember where it went, but it didn't go anywhere near where it was intended to be. But just, just the amusement of him actually attempting such an audacious activity made, made me laugh. And then the execution, because he knew what was coming. 60-yard crossfield ball by Wan-Bissaka, yeah. I thought that, um, talking of him, Wan-Bissaka, that Guardiola got made a good decision in that he always does well against Sterling, who's just trying to run it in most of the time, and he's able yeah. to cope with that. So he played Grealish, who more like who's more of a floater. Yep. Pause. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> so Grealish, so Grealish is more more of a floater. So he's drifting. He's not sure. Might come short. Plays a bit more. Plays a bit more. Not, not, I think probably off the cuff rather than Sterling. Sterling City have their moves and Sterling's been playing with them for years, so he does it. Greenwich yeah. is a different kind of thing. He's a bit more improvisational, I think. He is, but he picks up those spaces that all of the United players find it hard to cope with. All of them, right? So because neither of Fred and McTominay are, are kind of used to like looking for players in or can cope with looking for players in those half spaces, 
and United's back four are so static. I just, it, I mean, Grealish, he's not had a great season by Grealish standards or by a hundred million pound player standards, but he absolutely ruined United whenever he got the ball today because United are static in those two lines and everyone around them is not. <laughs> the, yeah, well, there was just so many occasions where, and in fact, this also happened under Fergie. I was like, did I say in fairness? Do I keep saying in fairness? Dickhead. It used to happen a lot under Fergie against City towards the end where they had more players. And the, the thing, sure. I, it always reminded me, you know, you know, I look like a table football team and City look like a Sabuio team where they're yep. just moving and getting close to each other. You know, just stratified in lines and too far away. It looked a bit like that today where, again, was just that City's ability to, I can't, why are we doing this? Why am I, why am I rhapsodizing about this, Dickhead? Were they able to make the pitch simultaneously wide and also then crowd you out in the middle and they just yes it's, it's about moving the ball quickly and doing the simple things well people like to overcomplicate what's actually going on here and i know guardiola is quite a complex coach but it doesn't have to be like that is that in terms of what's really going on is they they run a lot and they know roughly where the people are going to run to because they're always running into space and running towards the ball with and, and away from the ball and yeah, it just it's, it's it's so basic, and these are the things that you don't see United do. It's not about when the ball's in square H seventeen, you've got to be here and you've got to be there. And sure, you've got yeah, to be there. Yeah. But that happens. But they also give them the opportunity to improvise, because you know that in the pockets there'll always be someone there. And I find it really hard to understand why the United players find it so hard to be in the right places. Like the lack of because it's so it's not it's not complex. The lack of technical ability obviously you totally understand if you're might have a foot shaped like a boomerang you're not gonna be able to kick the ball straight and i whatever it is but <laughs> the inability to get yourself into the right position to receive yeah, the ball yeah. to support a teammate because for sure they're getting all the video analysis of this and and for sure they're getting the square h17 or whatever but and they've been playing football these these boys since they could walk yeah yeah they're unbelievable footballers who just play football basics, at every yeah. level they've had the best coaches yeah. at every single level because they've been brilliant at every level which is what's got them to this point they played yeah. with some of the greatest players the world has ever seen they've played with some brilliant managers they've played international level they play world cups all of them yep passing just and moving. basics just pass and move and try fucking hard and you won't ever, 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 ever see a performance like that today. That's it. That's all you have to do. Clearly, I fully, I fully agree. <laughs> They're just not doing any of the basics. And I mean, it's like, as I said earlier, primary school, attack the nearest man when you're defending is just the basics, the basics. And they couldn't cope with any of that movement. I mean, it was really striking how City are not quick, 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 quick all the time. They're slow till the final third. And then as soon as they move the ball quickly, United were all over the place. Just the complete inability to to do the basics. And like, I know Burnley got smashed yesterday or would pick, pick a side that is sort of traditionally inadequate, but knows how to do the basics of keeping the pitch small when you're defending. And they would have defended better than United for all four of those goals. Anyway, have we had enough of bitching about United? <laughs> any, any more bitching to be done? One of my mates told me he was engaged in an argument with one of his mates about which one of them hated Harry Maguire more. <laughs> oh, God, I hate him. I hate him so much. That is just, yeah, this, is, this is the standard of, uh, of conversation now. There was a rush of articles, uh, which you could kind of categorize them as the, the kind of anti-majoritarian view of Harry Maguire, right? So it became trendy to dump on Maguire because he's been shit this season. And so there were a few sort of stats focused articles pointing out that actually he's not my, my brain goes there quite a bit. I do like data. It's what I worked with my whole kind of working career. And then there's my eyes and I see the clown on the pitch and I just can't reconcile those two things. That, that's the thing. Cause these things are expressed often as one or the other. Will it be data? <laughs> like, will, will it be eyes? Like it doesn't have to be like that. No, like, sure. Always trust your eyes first if you're watching something and then like because data is obviously useful for stuff you haven't seen sure. always trust your eyes and the data is interesting to give you a different perspective and i don't like harry Maguire may progress the ball I, I believe we now have to say passing into midfield is good I'm, he's not it doesn't mean if you think that he's nowhere near good enough to play for a team challenging for the title yeah it doesn't mean you think he's useless 
Although in parentheses, is he any worse than John Stones, who seems to be doing this every season? Not necessarily. And, but he's not better than almost pr pr pretty much every regular defender of the Fergie era. He's not better. He's not even better than, he's not better than Ronnie Onsen. No. Nope. He's not better than Wes Brown. No. Nope. He's not better than Paul McGrath. Definitely not. He's not better than Gary Pallister. He's not better than Steve Bruce. He's not better than obviously nope. Vidic, Ferdinand, Stamp. He's, he's what is, he's a, uh, David May is a bit better than David May, the round that level. He's not better than Mikhail Silvestre either, who at least <laughs> had recovery pace. Had recovery pace and a wand of a left foot. So could sometimes be as, as dense, but at least could get out of it if he got caught because he had recovery yeah. pace. And Anne was better attacking the ball in the air than the Maguire is. Oh my gosh. And the other thing, I, 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 I did I laugh? At Juan Bissak against totally sunned off by Big Phil Foden. Goodness <laughs> me. Oh my gosh. Maguire got booked for a tackle in the second half, which was, it was so late, it was in a different postcode, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely magic how, how bad that was. The problem with it was, was it was almost, it wasn't exactly, so it wasn't a tackle that I particularly enjoyed exactly in the way that that, that the Moyes home derby where they got smashed. Um, yeah, we got some, uh, Fellaini, Fellaini stuck the elbow into Pablo's letter and yep. the ref didn't do anything. And at least I guess I found like some kind of pleasure in that because it was just wanton violence. Whereas the Maguire <laughs> tackle was just, his is a cause. And that's why I, it wasn't, he didn't do it for redemption. He didn't do it to get <laughs> the crowd going. He didn't do it for pleasure. No. He didn't do it for revenge. He didn't do it for comedy. He did it because here he got there as quick as he could and it was much much too late there you go it's a good summary of the game isn't it i think he got there as quick as he could and it was much much too late <laughs> okay. i was trying to work out prior to this recording do we want to talk about all the horrible shit that's going on in the world again because we did for quite a bit last week didn't we but there, there is like a small update. There was every Premier League ground had a sort of support for Ukraine moment this weekend, which was touching. Um, I have an ongoing conversation with several friends about the, the dichotomy in the world's response to this one versus other abysmal stuff that's happening around the world. And we talked about that last week. Didn't yeah, we? the thing that rankled about that was Arsenal, by on their Twitter, with their armbands in the Ukraine. And whereas last season... They, they slagged off Mesut Ozil for yep. supporting the Uyghur Muslims, saying yep. they've got to keep politics out of football, said the team was sponsored by Visit Rwanda. Exactly. <laughs> With exactly. Like the, a prime minister even more longer serving than Arsene Wenger. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh, football is awash with one filthy money that should have no place in the game. And maybe we're having a reckoning with that. We'll see. I'm not actually sure that's, that's what's going to happen. And rank hypocrisy just everywhere rank hypocrisy so you know you've pointed out one there we obviously have city and abu dhabi who are engaged in a brutal war in yemen at the moment and same with the saudis up in newcastle right so they're just like football has taken this moment to say hey we're more than just football we want to make a statement about what is happening in the world and you go okay yeah but there's you know step back a bit and there's some wider perspective that we have to take on this yeah, it's good that it's done. The more of this stuff there is, the the better. So it's obviously good that it happened, but yeah, you can't give any sensible analysis of what it is without looking at what it isn't. Exactly. I couldn't help but notice that the, the moment that was had at Stamford Bridge, I think, or was it, a, I can't remember where they were playing. It was a turf moor. Turf, turf moor, turf turf that's right. And Chelsea fans singing Roman Abramovich's. I mean, it's so tone deaf to do that anyway. No, 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 it's not tone deaf. I, I, I mean, I know what you mean, but it's not tone deaf. It's being an arsehole. It's just total out and out being a total fucking arsehole. And there's no excuse for that kind of behavior because you know what Roman Abramovich is. And you yep. know also that in this particular moment, people are getting killed. And you know yep. roughly what Roman Abramovich's relationship with that is. But even if you didn't, we're trying to have a moment because people are literally getting killed as we're talking here. Yes. So shut up. Yes, yes, no, that's exactly what they should have done. If they'd have been singing Gingang Gully Gully Watcher, it would have been appalling behaviour. 
Yes, yes. And and, and Tuchel, who's not wanted to reckon with his own hypocrisy here. I mean, he takes the money. It's how bad uh, it was. It forced Tuchel to say something. Yes, um, you're absolutely right. Tuchel got praise for that. And I couldn't help but thinking, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not being tribal about this because I actually think if United were in the same position, there'd be rank hypocrisy amongst United's players, coaches, 100%. management. Not partisan at all. And, and fans as well. I, with, with you and a few other voices in football, call this out. But it's not many. It's not many. Which is why it's surprising that football has been so at one with their voice about what's happening uh, in Ukraine. And yet won't. Uh, call out the other nastiness that we've attached ourselves to as a community. And, and even acknowledging, and that's before what has to come at some point, but won't, is some level of culpability for football. We, they gave, they gave Putin the World Cup. And we talked about this last week, but the connection, and I think that in terms of people calling it out, calling out what's going on, we're seeing a lot more of that now because it feels like it's got to the point where it's not just a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of, I can't be seen to have said nothing which is important. Yes. That it has, because when you have people who are in a position to say something, they need to have, you need to have a reckoning with your own self as did you do, could you have done something? Did you do anything? And you yes. get situations in history where there'll never be all the right is on one side and all the wrong is on the other usually, but where there's so much wrong in one place that everyone is more or less in agreement, like these are the goodies and these are the baddies. Like, and this is, this is one such case where you're able to do that. There's, so football at that point feels able to suddenly remember that it's able to be involved in politics again, whilst forgetting its previous involvements in politics when it was busy keeping football out of politics. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it is not, I don't, it's not, I even care about all the self-congratulation and aspect of it, like whatever, just do we, but there has to, we have, we just have to be honest about what's going on and who's responsible for it and who could have done more or less in order to get better. So it's not like this in the future, but yeah, that's obviously not going to happen. We concluded last week's show talking about, well, we'll see if the politics of this take us further because I, I th we had a long conversation about the, the Chelsea foundation potentially taking management control, control of Chelsea. Well, that lasted what all of 24 hours <laughs> before Abramovich was clearly given the words by someone in government, I imagine, that if you get rid of your assets now, then we won't have to uh, seize them, which is what the German and French authorities have been doing with $500 million yachts. So he's out, he's gone, he's going to be selling the club. I guess if he really cared about Chelsea, he would just give it to the fans because the money doesn't mean anything to him. Uh, but he's going to sell it to some more billionaires who... Well, just be more billionaires. Who knows whether they'll be better or worse. And in any event, but what I found frustrating about that was he was suddenly set up as well, great man for, for doing this, writing off the debt. And it's like, hang on, someone pointed out to me on Twitter that if he writes off the debt, then the club is just worth that amount more. Yeah. Because it doesn't have that amount of debt on the book. So that's obviously a total nonsense. It's a total nonsense. Yeah. Who knows what the negotiations are actually like, but talk of Chelsea potentially being sold for 3 billion or something like that. That's pounds. It's double the price of United on the current stock exchange. And that's also what he paid for it. Yeah. Plus what he spent on it. Plus, plus some profit. change. Plus change. Yep. Plus who knows what else. Yes, and the statement was very ambiguous as well, in which he said that the profits, the net profits, so take all that stuff, take off the price he paid, all the debt, the kickback to Vlad or whatever's got to happen next, and then whatever's left over will be given to the victims of war, whatever that actually right. means. Yeah, and that, well, we know that it could mean almost anything, so almost therefore anything. it means absolutely nothing. Quite, and he still said nothing, which I didn't expect. Because I think the count is now two of Navalny's list of 35 have said something publicly uh, about the war. It's absolutely disgusting and brutal and horrible. And oh, the other thing I wanted to say, which is, it's not really a football thing, but it sort of is a football thing, is that the, the punditization of coverage of this war sounds like football. I mean, it's almost exactly, exactly the same where they're like... The Russians are not doing well on the left flank, but on the right, they're strong and the big guns are coming out now. I mean, it's like completely colored by sports coverage. You know what it reminds me of most is the day-to-day. -day. Roll back 20 years, Chris Morris is the day-to-day. -day. It's almost exactly how this is covered.
Well, it's, the thing is with the, with the war coverage is that I, I think it changed in Iraq when suddenly you can watch war on your television, right. which I think leads to a level of people start to become inured to what it is because it's there. And at some point, I mean, it's almost like are we gonna, you're going to be able to like bet they're going to have him running highlights for latecomers. Are you going to be able to pick player cam? You're going to be able to bet on what's going to happen. And the, it's really hard to know where the line is because you live in this information age where the more information you know about what's going on, you're able to act with your conscience more, understand more about the world around you, be a better person, yes. understand things. But at the same time, there is the line here. I mean, it's presented as infotainment. Right. Subscription television, subscription television channels are able to yeah. show war, but so is a free website. Oh, sure, yeah. We all we all got to watch the world nearly ending with the world's largest nuclear power station getting pounded by mortar shells live on YouTube. And the only thing that was missing from that was some commentary over the top of it. You know, Gary Neville and Lee Dixon going, "Oh, he's missed that one, son." I was so, thinking of the guy from the Honey Badger video. Oh God! <laughs> a classic of yes. the early internet. Do you know? Do you know the guy I mean? Yes, yes. Anyone who hasn't check out Honey Badger commentary or something, and you will yes. find the story of the exactly Honey Badger. That. The other thing I want to go back to on the Bramovich that's quite—I mean, as a Jew, I find quite interesting—is that he's somehow more or less avoided that because if you think about the things that people have historically said about Jews, sure, Abramovich, you can almost see the cartoon. Like he is unbelievably rich from money he didn't earn. Yes. He's connected to power in some way. We don't know how really, but he is shady. We don't very little about him. And he moves in very strange circles and is elus and somehow elusively always seems to sort of win. Yes. He doesn't and, get the George Soros treatment from media coverage. Yeah, and the reason yeah. why I'm sort of interested in that is because I'm also thinking at the same time about the difference in the coverage with Abramovich versus Abu Dhabi versus Qatar. Yeah. And I think you could say, well, Bramovich was first when we were new a lot less. So that would be one reason there was less coverage. True. And another one would be, he's not a state. And there is something extremely unpleasant about a state owning a football club. Maybe Abramovich is sort of that as well. Quasi, but yeah. More or less. Yeah. Like there's, he's, if he's better than, if it's better, it's not much better. Yeah. And then makes you think, is the coverage that Qatar and Abu Dhabi get like, why is it, is it because they're not white men that is like, do we think that that is part of what's going on here as well? Because the thing is difficult when people are actually doing bad things to say, well, it's this, but yes, I do. Yeah. I do wonder about that too. Yeah. Abramovich is interesting. He spends a lot of money on philanthropic stuff. It's directed in a certain way of which there's plenty of debate. Yeah. Well, he gives loads of money, loads of money to Israel and some some good causes in Israel and some not good causes in Israel, according to my political bent. Yeah. He, he doesn't do the Soros thing, which is what you're alluding to in terms of the stereotypical coverage of rich Jewish men. He doesn't spend his money on a lot of liberal causes that gets the tabloids foaming at the mouth. Yeah, so look, there's a lot of nuance there. I mean, I think mainly he's on the wrong side of history. And this is a football podcast, but he's deeply involved in, in football and politics. And as we mentioned last week, they are the same thing. And we need to all ask ourselves a real question about whether we really want this in our game. I think it's really bad for the game. And it's also, it's, just, it's bad for the world. It's a tricky thing because there is something that I feel slightly uncomfortable about, about a government just being able to go and take stuff away from people. And that's not because I don't want the rich people to have less and the poor to have more or because I'm not socialist. It's because I worry about, I don't like authoritarian government. Absolutely. It's a, an extension of authoritarianism to, to say, we don't like your politics, therefore we're going to take away your stuff, which is what sanctioning is. But then, but then if you look at the football clubs, yeah, it's got to, if you look at the football clubs and think, well, you took them from people, from the people and we've decided that it'd be a better... The democratic process has decided that to give it back, that it would be, our country would be a better place to, to live in if this wasn't the case and people would be happier. So unfortunately hard lines and a shake of a hand, then I feel like I could live with that level of authoritarian government. Yeah.
we've got a game against Spurs next week. We haven't got a midweek game. Uh, it's nice, actually, in a way. I, I am kind of enjoying the idea that I can switch off from thinking about football after that dumpster fire of a... Uh, am I allowed to say that? Is that an Americanism I've picked up? I, <laughs> of a performance I, from United? <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it is. What, But it's... I mean, Bimfire would be, but yeah. Bimfire also feels probably feels like an American term as well. But do, they, do you talk about bins in American? I think they call it trash and garbage. A garbage can. Do you never? They would never use the word bin. I can't deal with it. There's many other examples of this. But uh, anyway, Spurs, Spurs. We have to beat them, I suppose. With Wolves and West Ham losing this weekend, it's kind of simplified stuff. It was never going to be those. If we finish behind Wolves and West Ham, it won't be because we're fifth. No, no, that's right. Fourth or eighth are my two choices. I, I'm not sure I want to cope with the Europa League next season and the conference. <laughs> no thanks. No thanks at all. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, like Not being in Europe is so depressing. But And I want to go to some Euro aways. And I guess there some is Euro that. aways there is be better than, no, better than no Euro aways. But... They're like watching that the, the conference would be just the absolute pits. Yeah, it really is. Someone's going to be in it, and no one wants to be. It's supposed to play Everton on Monday night, so this will be out before Tomorrow, yeah. then. Who knows with Everton? They they are desperate. We'll, we'll get to this in the backers' content. So it it could be very spicy if Spurs have won and United then really up against it to win. I mean, desperately. I mean, I feel like we're this at the point where fourth has almost has almost gone now. I, I don't know what the betting markets are saying, but I bet it's uh, like a 10 to 1 shot, something like that. The only thing is, is that Arsenal's games in hand are against good teams that they want. They, might, they could easily not get very many points out of their games in hand. And then, but the thing was always that United, if United don't beat Tottenham, they're obviously not going not to beat Liverpool either. They're going to be quite a long way behind. 538, whatever you believe about the model, have United as a 12% chance of. I mean, that's exactly that's where I'd put it. I think that's fair enough. My non-scientific analysis says, yeah, 10 to 1 is about right. <laughs> yeah, unlikely. Seems very unlikely. All righty. Well, try and have a good week, everyone. Just don't talk to your mates. If they're City fans, it's, it's best just avoid it. Anyway, Dan, have a good week. Yeah, see you again. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye now.